All right. With that, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of James. If you don't have a Bible and you haven't downloaded a Bible app on your tablet, that's okay. We would happy to let you borrow one. Here's LJ. You just wave at him and he will hand you a Bible so you can follow with us. Although I will say uh, it is one of those Sundays where it's just a one-verse Sunday. <laughs> we're not going to go very far, but I think we're, we'll take a little bit of a deeper dive and really set a foundation for what James brings us into next here in chapter 4, verse 1, where he asks two questions. One of them, I think, is a question that prompts, and the second question is a question that's rhetorical, where basically he's giving us the answer to the first question. But I entitled our message and our time this morning, The Source of Our Strife. The Source of Our Strife. And if you're there, James 4, I'm going to invite you to stand with me, please, as we honor God and his word. James, of course, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, also known as Jacob or Jacob, uh, is writing this inspired by God's spirit to a group of believers. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Two pointed questions. We'll pause and let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day. As the word reminds us, this is a day that you have made. And our response can be joy and gladness. Even in the midst of difficulty and worry and, and trouble. Lord, we know that James even encouraged us as he opened the letter to count it all joy when we encounter those type of scenarios, knowing that, Lord, you use them as building blocks for our faith to grow us and to bring us closer to Jesus. And, Lord, I pray that, especially for us as the believer this morning, that that would be our heart today, that we've come not out of just mere obligation or tradition or habit, but, Lord, we've come sincerely and genuinely wanting to hear from you. And, Lord, I pray even for myself, that in many ways, uh, I and Yumi, who's translating the Japanese, would simply just be the microphone in which your spirit speaks to all of us, and our, myself included. And Lord, by faith, we can say thank you for what you'll say. By faith, we say thank you for what you'll reveal. Although it might be hard for us to hear at times, we know that your word is like a two-edged sword. It's designed to do some cutting, to cut away that what is calloused, to cut away that which is, just doesn't belong, that our hearts then might be that much more sensitive to the leading and the voice of your spirit. And so, Lord, have your way through your word, and may our hearts be ready. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Please take a moment. Say hello to someone, especially if they're new, you don't know their name, introduce yourself.
Maybe you've heard this one before. If you did, don't blow my punchline, okay? <laughs> There's uh, this man that was stranded on a deserted island. And uh, after many years being there by himself, a, a ship finally came by, spotted him, responded to him, waving them down. And they were able to rescue this man who had been there for many years. Well, as the crew um, got off the boat and along with the captain, as they engaged this man, they were really curious to find out how he survived by himself that, you know, all of those years. They wanted to see where he lived and what he did. And so the man was happy to show the captain. He said, oh, come over here. Uh, here's where I live. This is the hut that I built and here's where I, I've been living. The captain noticed there was a hut, but he also noticed there were other huts, two other huts, in fact. And so the captain said, hey, are, are you here by yourself? The man responded, yes, I'm here by myself. There are nobody else. He says, well, I, I'm curious. There are two other huts here. What, what are those? The man looked and said, oh, well, that's the church that I go to. And the captain said, oh, okay. He says, well, what about the, the other hut? He says, that's the church I used to go to. I didn't really like the people there. No. And listen, conflicts can happen anywhere, uh, even in the body of Christ. And as James will tell us, even within ourselves. It's here in chapter 4 that James engages this issue that seems to have become an issue that's emerged in the community of Christians as he writes to them his original audience. And it appears by what he says to them, and as I noted, we're only going to step into the doorway of this, if you will. We'll unpack the rest of these verses next week. There appears to have been some bickering amongst the brethren. And so what does James do? Well, he steps into their squabble and he makes a, 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 a diagnosis of their dilemma. And then he's going to bring them to, well, some action. And I want you to note with me, even as we read these verses, that James doesn't identify what the issue was. We don't know what they're fighting about. Did someone borrow somebody's donkey and didn't give it back? Uh, you know, was there a shovel that went missing or whatever? We don't know what happened. And yet he addresses the issue of them fighting about it generally. And of course, I think that the Spirit led him to do that because then it provides application for us broadly. How we then might consider the things that we get into at times. Now, I've noted with you before that James is not afraid. His writing style, his personality, it seems, he's not afraid to get in your face for the sake of growing in our faith. And what James writes, really, here's what we need to understand. It's an extension of God's love for you. He is, uh, he is the instrument in which the Spirit is inspired to pen these words, but they come from a place of care. They come from a place of concern. They come from a place of God's heart for you and for me, as it was for the original audience, that we might grow in our relationship with God, that we might mature in our faith. And that means at times there will be some things we hear that we don't like. But please know it's from love because God loves us. So verse 1, the first part, that first question, James says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Question mark. This has been his style 
in the midst of making declaratives, telling us things that are true, he's also uh, offered us some interrogatives. He's, he's asking questions as a probe to get his readers to think about their life and what their faith looks like. Now, this particular question isn't philosophical. He isn't saying, hey, why don't we have a little TED talk and let's muse about why there's wars in the world today. What do you think's going on with these particular ethnic groups or this, these nationalities or these nations that are at battle? What do you think's going on? Why do you think that is? That's not his, the, the reason or his aim. He's not talking about international conflict. He's talking about interpersonal conflict. And he brings it home, straight home to you and to me. Notice he says, it's among you. Where do the wars and the fights that happen among you? Among you makes it personal. Among you brings it right into your relationships with the people that you live with, that you work with, that we worship with. And by the way, he hasn't changed audiences. His tone gets a little intense, but the original audience is still the audience. It's the brethren, beloved brethren. He's writing to the Christ follower. He's writing to the person that names the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I imagine that's most of us uh, here today. The other thing I want you to notice with me when he asks this question, where did these wars and fights happen amongst you? He doesn't ask If the discord is happening, he assumes that it is. He makes the assumption that it is. Now, if you've been journeying with us in James, you are familiar with the book of James. This is a big pivot from where he has just been in chapter 3, verse 18. In the original documents, there's no chapter or verse breakdown. It's just one continuous thought. And in verse 18, he's talking about peacemakers. He says, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so on one hand, he's talking about peacemakers. And then the very next breath, he's talking about troublemakers. And yet he doesn't name anyone like Paul does on occasion when he talks about troublemakers. Anybody here willing to admit they're a troublemaker? You don't have to raise your hand. You remember in the book of Philippians? Paul writes, and the overall theme of that letter is joy and rejoicing. It's a great theme. But he gets to the end of the letter, and he begins to address the church specifically, the community there at Philippi. And then he calls out two ladies by name. He says, hey, guys, I want you to help Judea and Syntyche because they got some beef with each other, my paraphrase, and help them to come into peace together. Can you imagine if you're one of those ladies and all of a sudden your name gets read in church? You're like, what? You're hoping maybe there's other Judeas, right? Like, not talking to me, talking to Judea P, not, you know. And yet, again, the scripture doesn't sugarcoat the struggles that we, even as Christians, can find ourselves in. And that's the reality of life. 
And that's one of the things I love about the Bible. It, 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 it's real. And it lays out sometimes even with... We have this occasion where we have two gifted church leaders called by God, anointed by God. And yet even for them, some stuff happened. Paul and Barnabas, the book of Acts say that they got into this squabble, this sharp disagreement. I think that's how the scripture describes it. So much so that they end up going separate ways. Now, we can trust that, okay, even though it seems like that was uh, the best course of action for their temperaments and, temp- and, you know, and, and personalities in that moment, and it really wasn't over a doctrinal issue. You guys remember why they split up? It's because of John Mark. The first trip they took, John Mark bailed on them. Paul didn't like that. He said, that guy's a flake. Barnabas, who by nature was a risk taker with people, in fact, he's the guy that discipled Paul, said, no, let's give the guy, let's give the young man a second shot. And he did. And so it still worked out. But all that to say, listen, we realize these things happen. And the Bible tells us plainly they happen. Now, our our time this morning doesn't permit me to fully dive into all of the various forms of conflict that we can find ourselves in. And there's a lot of different types of conflict we can find ourselves in. And the Bible has some good things to say, some very practical and wise things for us to heed and learn from. And sometimes conflict, confrontation, it's prescribed. Sometimes it's necessary. It's necessary when it deals with the holiness of God, when it deals with us living right as Christ followers before the Lord. There are times where Scripture will direct you and me to lovingly confront uh, another who they're in sin. Now, it's qualified to do that in love and to do that in meekness and gentleness, but to do that nonetheless... And to go to that brother, to go to that sister, they're living contrary to God's word. And you have a relationship with them and you see that. Well, responsibility is yours then to go to that person and say, hey, I'm worried about you. I see these things that are happening. Again, Paul did this with Peter. He tells us about it when he writes to the Galatians. He says, you know, when Peter came, I even got in his face. I said, hey, bro, my paraphrase, hey, bro, you're... You're playing the hypocrite. When the old crew's not around, the, the Jewish people, you come and you'll eat with the Gentiles. And Now, we don't know what Peter was eating. We don't know if he was, you know, um, having a bacon cheeseburger. Or he's like, oh, I had that vision on the roof. I'm good. Give me some spam and rice. You know, we don't, we don't know. But we do know that when uh, the devout Jews came around, he was like, he, you know, he's like, oh, I'm not going to eat with these Gentiles. And so Peter rebuked him. Peter created a, a, a confrontation, a little bit of a conflict, and said, hey, that's not right, bro. You shouldn't be doing that. It's Jesus who tells us in Matthew 18, if your brother or your sister sins against you, here's your responsibility. You go to them and let them know. You confront them privately. And if they hear that, and they're like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. You're right. They repent. Well, you've won them over. Praise the Lord. But if they're like, you don't know me. You're judging me. They, you know, they, 
They don't want to hear what you say. Well, Jesus goes on to say, well, go grab another brother or sister who loves them and you go together. And if they continue to do that, then it becomes kind of a church issue. We got to bring it to, you know, the pastors and the elders and the leaders. Paul writes to the Galatians and he says, brothers and sisters, if somebody's caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently in love. Qualify that. You can be careful. We realize that we have the same propensity. We want to come off, you know, holier than thou. But if we really love somebody, we really care for somebody, then we're going to confront them. And so there's times where there's going to be some sparks. There's times where there's going to be some things that we have to come into conflict. It's a sanctified version of strife, if you will, right? A a contention for the sake of holiness, for the sake of seeking repentance. But I want to suggest to you that that is not what James is talking about here. He's not addressing those particular times and issues. He's talking about the times where you and I and his original audience, when they're getting in their flesh, when they've allowed their old nature to be the dominant voice and response and reaction to the troubles and the disagreements and, the, and, and, and you know, just the conflict that they've come into. What creates that? What nurtures that? What puts us on a path to, to harbor those grudges? By the way, when he uses the word wars, where do these wars and fights come from? Those are, those are military terms in the original Greek. And they encompass, the word war encompasses the idea, when we think of war, it's the idea of a, a broad-scale campaign. It's a lot of parties involved. It's major movement, division. It's scaled. And then the word for fights, well, it's the idea of, you know, one-on-one. Man-to-man combat. You and me, that kind of a thing. It's individual clashes. And so he's, he's, he's addressing kind of all of it. The, the church-wide, if you will, disagreements. And then those one-on-one things that you and I can get into with people at times. And so James asks this question as a prompt to get you and me to think about what is the source of of our striving. When we get into it with somebody, what's driving that discord? And here's what I want to do. I think the fact that he's asking the question is in itself application for us. Let me explain. The fact that he's asking the question to them to get them to think about themselves is the first place that we should start ourselves. Meaning, when you and I come into conflict with people, we have to be willing to ask ourselves the honest question, what's going on with me? And you start there first. What's going on with me? What's happening in my heart, Lord? Why am I so bothered by this? What's, what's triggering me in this? And to pause and make an evaluation. Because if you're like me, it's easy then to place blame on other people or situations. 
Where do we get that from? We get that from our nature, right? Adam, it's, exe- it's exemplified in Adam. That there in the garden, after he and Eve fell into sin, when sin entered into their paradise, the Bible tells us they go try to hide. Well, God comes and God finds them. And it's not as though God didn't know where they were. <laughs> When he says, Adam, where are you? I think it was a question, again, to prompt Adam to think, Adam, where are you? Why are you trying to hide, silly? And then God asks him, what, what happened? What did you do? Why did you eat when I told you not to? And what does Adam do? To me, it's classic. Adam, in one statement, tries to remove himself two distances. Well, Lord, it was the lady, it was my wife that you gave me. So, who's really at fault here? That's the idea, right? And there's a part of me that thinks, brilliant, brilliant, Adam, yes. No, no, listen. We got to start with us first. Why am I so worked up about this? What's going on with me? Jesus would say, hey, before you begin to uh, make analysis and uh, criticize somebody else, take, take a moment and just look at any plank in your own eye. And that's a good place for us to begin. You find yourself in a place where you're having difficulty with somebody. You're upset, you're bothered, you're angered, you're frustrated, you're disappointed. Just pause and say, all right, Lord, what, what's happening inside of me? What, what's going on? What, what's in my bag that's got me so worked up? See, this ties back to what James told us about wisdom, by the way. Because there are times where you may not know. Right? Or you might be asking your loved one, why, why are you so mad? What's going on? And their response to you is, I don't know. Just don't look at me, Right? And I'd say, okay, that's an honest answer. But then how do we know? Well, James tells us we can pray. Take that to the Lord. Lord, I'm, I'm angered. I'm knotted up. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. I expected this, whatever it may be, all of these things that are building your emotion. And you take it to the Lord and say, God, I need wisdom right now. Help me to see what's going on inside of me. And I'm convicted by this because often when I get into Christy, with Christy, I'm like, Lord, show her where she's wrong. <laughs> Help her to apologize, Lord. Help her to humble, humble herself, right? Yeah. No, I got to start with me and you got to start with you. God, what's going on with us? And so just the fact that he asks the question to me is the application in itself. But also notice that James puts forth the notion that quarrels and disagreements are going to be a part of life together. It just happens. And it happens because we're human. Right? Newsflash, you and I are still sinful. Now, he's going to give us some great guidance on how to navigate that. He's going to further impact what's going on inside of us when we encounter these rough roads, we encounter these challenges with people. But part of learning then to grow in God's grace and learning to practice hospitality. What does it mean to forgive unless we're in conflict? (laughs) 
unless we've been hurt? What does it mean to esteem others better than ourselves, to learn hospitality? How do we grow in maturity? Well, it happens in community. And it happens when we then navigate through some of our disagreements and our fights and our arguments, our differences of, of opinions. And so James begins where we all need to begin. We begin with ourselves. And he's not the only one that addresses interpersonal issues within the body of Christ. Paul has a lot to say. Again, what we don't want to lose sight of is that we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Even when we blow it and we blow it and we get angry and we get angry, right? God's grace abounds. We can never come to the end of God's grace. We can never exhaust the mercy and the love of the Lord in our lives. You need to know that you're saved. You don't lose your salvation. God said, hey, I'm going to demonstrate this to you. I'm going to place my spirit inside of you. That's the guarantee. You're sealed. You have a, a, a guarantee of delivery, a seat in heaven. We have been freed from the penalty and being freed from the power of sin in our lives. But the reality is, while that is true of us positionally, practically, we're still working this out. The fancy word is sanctification, right? We're being sanctified still from glory to glory. And the wonderful truth is that God's not done with us. Right? We are all works in progress. It is like the never-ending construction on the roads in Okinawa. <laughs> when are they going to be done? Never. Right? They're always working on the roads. And sometimes it's just this minor work where they're smoothing some things out. And other times they're digging up pipes that you're like, didn't they just dig them up last year? And it's a major construction. And the Spirit of God works the same way in our lives. Sometimes, man, we just got to be smoothed out in some areas. And other times, well, it's a major overhaul. Because if you're not ashamed to admit, as I'm not ashamed to admit, that the default groove lines, you know, sometimes our old nature, they still exist. Especially when we get worked up, right? We can fall back on just... Old, bad, ugly, sinful habits. And here's what the Bible says. We still fight against our old nature. I, I take a lot of comfort in the Apostle Paul. He writes to the believers who are in Rome in the book of Romans. It's not one of his earlier letters, by the way. It's a little bit of a later letter. Paul has been planting churches. He's been used of God. He's even done miraculous things. He's a leader, he's godly, and yet in chapter 7 of Romans, he says, I still fight with my flesh. And there's a, there's a part of that that's comforting to me. Me too. And he just lays it out plainly. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing sometimes. And the things that I want to do, sometimes I don't do. And he uses the same words. I see this war happening within my members. It's inside of me. It's my old nature and my new nature, and they are at conflict. They're battling each other. 
And so Paul describes it in a very similar way. And gang, that's true. We are on an ongoing spiritual battle with our flesh, with our old nature. And, and, and James will talk about that more. He says, that's why you covet, you lust, you do not have. The idea that you murder, you slander people, you disparage people. You covet, you can't get. So he, he, he's going to talk about that and, and expose that. But his first question is a diagnostic for us. We, we need to check ourselves first. What's going on with me? And take ownership of that. But then his second question answers his first question because he provides the answer. He says, it's you. Don't they not come from your desire for pleasure, that war within your own self? And the answer is, yeah, James, it does. It's rhetorical. James just tells us plainly, the problem that you often have is because you have a problem with yourself. The source of your strife is self. It's you. It's the fact that often, not always, that our desire, and he's going to say our sinful desire, our selfish desire, it's our desire, it's our expectation, it's our hopes, it's our wants, it's our demands that they're not met, they're not fulfilled. And what happens when that happens? Well, often it's disappointment. And usually, I think, if your expectation is this and reality falls anything short of that, the broader the gap between expectation and reality, usually the bigger the room for disappointment. Because if it's close, you're like, ah, it's okay. It's close enough. But when it's far off the mark, you're like, that is not what I was thinking at all. That's not what I wanted at all. That's not the orders I wanted at all. And so it makes room then for disappointment to turn into despair and anger and frustration. It's also a lot of great room for grace and forgiveness and growth, letting things go, making an evaluation of what's important. There's a lot of space for us to grow in grace in that. But notice again that James doesn't give us any specific list. He keeps it broad and general, and I think that's important because if he, I think if he listed out very specific things, we'd say, okay, that's not me, so I'm okay to be angry at this person for this reason. The source of our conflict with others is us. And it stems from when we experience expectations that aren't met. It stems from when we have desires that are unfulfilled, when we have a hope that didn't happen. And you think real quick, just do a, an inventory of your own. The last time where you were hoping, expecting, and it fell short of that. Sometimes it could be small things. I know for me, a couple of years ago, and this lingers in my own heart because I was so embarrassed by it, we had made this order for some burgers from this particular burger place. And when the order came, everybody got theirs. And it seemed like everybody else's burger, they got like the jumbo patty. 
And I opened mine, and it was like the old Wendy's commercial. Where's the beef? It's like, I didn't order a baby burger, you know. And, and I got upset. And then I felt really embarrassed because it was in the church staff. I'm like, what is this? Why do I get a small one? Pray for me. Pray for me. I've learned that I just order a double burger now. So <laughs> what happened? That's me. Right? And disappointment. And sometimes it's the smallest, and I'd say the stupidest of things. And so that's why it's good just to stop and take inventory. What's happening, Lord? Because we don't want it to turn into resentment and then, you know, defiance and rebellion. Where all of a sudden we become rude and then we withdraw. Again, if such disappointments aren't handled properly, and I'd add biblically, they can generate a lot of division and contention. And so that's what James seems to be addressing here. So he calls them out and he points out basically what he's going to point out. I'll give you a head uh, preview that their values are messed up. That they have, the reason they have trouble with others primarily is because they have their own trouble with themselves. And the reason they have trouble with themselves is because their value system's messed up. They're looking at the world to dictate to them what's important and what's valuable. And they've adopted that. And so when they don't get their way, they get upset and they get angry. and They want to fight each other. And James says, listen, you've been hanging out with the world too long. It's beginning to influence you. And so you have to be careful of your friendships with the world because they're not incompa- they're incompatible with your relationship with God. We'll unpack all of that next week. And by the way, let me just say this. There are times, by the way, where we need to break relationship. And and we'll see that as well. Because God doesn't want us in a place that's toxic and unhealthy and to remain in that place. And so there are times where wisdom says, I need to create a boundary and some distance for the sake of my health and my faith. And so there are also times where conflict is to be avoided. But here's what I wanted to do and and why I'm laying out just kind of this foundation for us as we consider what James brings us into. I want to mimic the method that James uses as we close out our points this morning. And the method he uses is questions. And so I want to add two or three more questions to the one that he's already given us. First is we just start with ourselves. Lord, what's going on with me? What's happening in my heart that I'm so triggered or upset by this? Help me to understand me, Lord. But as I mentioned, James isn't the only one that broaches this subject. Paul does too. And it's what Paul has to say is what I want to explore as we close. But here's the Here's the baseline. Here's the core of this. Why is he writing to this group of people? Well, I mentioned to you, it's an extension of God's care for them as it is for you and for me because God cares about how we get along. Did you know that? Like me as a dad, I care about how my kids get along. I want them to get along. And God cares about us and how we get along. And at the core of it is, is that we then should value our relationships more than things. That's an amen right there. Amen. We should value our relationships because our relationships, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, they are eternal. 
right? There's no U-Haul in the back of a hearse. When you pass from this life to the next, guess what we bring with us? We bring relationship. Relationship in God and then our godly Christ relationships, Christian relationships, we're going to spend eternity together. Think about that. And so if we can come to the place to recognize that relationships should matter more than things, should matter more than issues, then we'll be ahead of the game. And hopefully it'll lessen or loosen our grip on things and lessen our gripe with people. That's where God wants to bring us. So who else and what else, or where else is this addressed? 1 Corinthians 6. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. 1 Corinthians 6. Because Paul will also ask questions just like James does for the same goal to get you and me to think, to get these guys to think about what they're doing and what they've done and what they've allowed themselves to get so worked up about. If you're familiar with this, you might say, oh, this is the chapter about suing each other. Yes and no. <laughs> it, it, it turned into where one guy says, I'm taking you to Judge Judy. We're going to, you know, my lawyer's going to call you. The core of it is, was a disagreement. These guys had some beef with each other. Does that translate into Japanese? Be, I don't know, trouble, right? <laughs> What was the issue that was so, you know, egregious that one guy said, you know what, I'll see you in court, buddy, brother. Here's what's crazy. Paul doesn't say, just like James, what was the issue? You know, let me, let me just read these verses quickly. He says, dare any of you having a matter go against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before saints? Question mark. He's going to ask 10 questions in these verses. Almost every verse is a question. Do you not know that saints will judge the world? Question. If the world's going to be judged by you, are you able to judge the smallest of matters? Don't you know that we're going to judge angels? That is so curious to me. In my mind, I think like the Olympics. We had angels that were supposed to watch us, and they blew it. You're like, 1.2 to you, buddy, right? <laughs> I don't know what that means. If the world is going to be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Or I already read that. Uh, how much more things that pertain to this life, verse 3. If then you have judgments concerning things that pertain to this life, again, things to this life, this side of eternity, do you appoint those that are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is there not a, a wise person? Isn't there somebody, a, a brother, a sister in the body that can help you navigate these things? He says, nope, but brother goes to law against brother. You go and judge Judy. And that before the unbelievers. Here's his assessment. It's already an utter failure. You failed already if you do that. And here's the hard questions he asks. Why not rather accept the wrong? Why not rather you let yourself be cheated? He says, nope, but you yourself, you do wrong and you cheat and you do this to your brethren. Um, I gave this teaching before and actually on a few occasions and, and it has served as a, as a grid for me. 
It's a type of a matrix to run my own heart through from time to time when I find myself getting worked up about issues and things. Because I'll be the first to confess, I can get worked up about things. And Paul doesn't tell us, just like James, what, what is the matter? He just says you have this matter. And if you look at the original Greek, the word is, it translates as a fluff, <laughs> as this, as a little tiny thing. And, and, and if you think he's uh, belittling the matter, notice how he even refers to it next where he says, don't you, can't you judge the smallest of matters? He downgrades it. Whatever it was that got them so worked up, he just says, oh, you got this thing. Yeah, you got this little thing <laughs> that you're so worked up about. Now again, why, why would he do that? He doesn't want to insult them. It's for perspective. It's for perspective. And so he brings perspective to it in, in two very powerful ways. The first is the perspective of relationship. Because he says, it's brother against brother. He says brethren so many times. You've allowed this thing, this issue, this offense that really is, is minor to become major. And now there's a family feud that's happening. And now you've cut that person off. You've unfriended them. It's weird now. They're, you know, you're not talking anymore. It's corrupted the relationship. Now, again, I think we can safely say he's not talking about matters of holiness or purity or integrity because in chapter 5, he's already addressed that. In chapter 5, he says, you guys, it's not good that you hide sin. So this is not a, uh, a sin issue where he's saying, listen, you shouldn't talk about that, right? Because sadly, you see in the news where there's churches and movements where, you know, they something terrible has happened and they just try to cover it up. No, no. That, that's not what God wants us to do. And certainly that's not what this is advocating for. In chapter 5, he says, hey, that sinful situation, you need to expose it. Bring that out into the light and deal with it properly. In chapter 6, he's talking about, again, a interpersonal, minor, you just got this thing with somebody. And it's a perspective. She's not dealing with purity. He's dealing with pettiness. And his assessment is, it's already utter failure. How does he come to that conclusion? Because they've allowed this thing to come and divide relationship. And so the question we can ask ourselves is, this thing that I'm upset about, this, this issue that happened, this offense that took place where I didn't like what they said or how they responded. First of all, the question is, did we deal with it biblically? Did we do the right thing? Did we go to that person and say so? What's happening in our own hearts? We, be, we start there. Very practical, right? And the second thing that we can ask is, what matters more, the relationship or the thing? And I would say 99 times out of 100, it's the relationship that matters more. It's not the thing. If we can learn to just keep a light touch on things, then a lot of our issues would go away. 
Right? It's Peter who writes in 2 Peter and he tells us, he gives us a, a preview of coming attractions. And he says, Here, here's what's coming in the future, by the way. It's all going to burn, baby. Everything that we own, everything that we have, it's all going up in flames, except for your Tupperware and cockroaches, right? They, they will survive. But if, if everything's going to burn with this fervent heat, here's what Peter says. Here's the question he asks. How ought you and I to live then? How ought we to conduct ourselves in holiness and purity with each other? What do we value more? See, sometimes we can value things more, but that is an ideology of the world where we become identified by what we own. It becomes a source of security, a source of, of pride. So we ask ourselves, what, what, what matters more here, the relationship or the thing? And it's good. You know, one of the benefits of living here in Okinawa, at least I think, is that usually most people, they don't care what you wear and they don't care what you drive. It's kind of nice, right? You get a car and someone scratches it, like, ah, it's okay. You know. It's called the oaky kiss. You just get a little oaky kiss. Yeah. One time my wife, I love you. Uh, we were parked side by side. And she was leaving the parking lot and gave us a two-for-one deal where she took one car and crashed the other. And I was in the office and the guys ran in and said, your wife crashed your cars. I'm like, Car cars? And sure enough, yep, and you explain that to the insurance person, yep, that's, you know. But I was grateful, I'm like, eh, it's just a thing, it's good, right? It was good. <laughs> it's a, that's how I remember it. <laughs> We're going to ask ourselves, hey, is, what matters more, the relationship or the thing? Yeah, it should be the relationship, right? The other thing he, he does is he mentions the idea that we're going to be judging the world and judging angels. Here's the other perspective he puts before us. He says, okay, you see that thing that you're so bothered about? You want to break them off some? You want to write this letter? You want to do these things? He pulls down the, the backdrop of heaven. And he says, all right, compare what you're so worked about and, and what's going to happen when we get to heaven. Does that really matter that much? We can, we can frame it this way. What will it matter a hundred years from now? Like, is it really going to matter? See, sometimes we're like, it's the principle of the thing. Right? We, we want to argue principle. We want to fight on principle. There's times where that, we need to do that. And I'm not saying this is uh, an application for every issue that we encounter, but I, I would argue to say it, it is application for a lot of the issues we encounter, for a lot of the stuff that we can get worked up about. And if nothing else, I hope that at least we can turn down the volume on our intensity. That we can, you know, kind of put some bumpers on the edges before we come out fighting. And then here's the kicker of the question in verse 7. He says, why, why don't you just accept the wrong? And, and you know what that implies? You've been wronged. He says, why don't you rather accept the wrong? That means then you were right. And maybe you had every reason to be upset and every right to, to want to engage. 
He's just posing the question, what will happen if you take the high road in this situation? You take the short end of the deal and take the high road. What will happen if you let the issue go and you just move on? That's a challenging question, right? Oh, my spleen will explode. I don't know what's going to happen. That's upper room kind of love, right? That's upper room Jesus right there. Washing the feet of Judas. These are good questions, I think, that we can ask ourselves. And again, if nothing else, um, church family, hopefully it'll dull dull the edges the next time you want to come out swinging. (laughs) Or, Or allow us to cool off a little. You just take pause and pray, all right, God, what's going on with me? Is it my thing? Am I frustrated at work? Am I upset because I got disappointed? I didn't communicate that. And we don't play the blame game. It's easy. Oh, it's just how I was raised, or it's my personality, or it's my nationality. No, God said, that's you. You, you take ownership of you. See, God cares about how we get along. And so what matters more, the relationship or the thing? In, in a thousand years, is it really going to matter? That might be a good question to ask. And then lastly, what will happen? What will happen if you just take the high road and say, all right, it's fine. Uh, forgive, I'm going to move on and just move on. So, hopefully, diagnostics that we can run our hearts through and our tempers through and our conflicts through the next time we get heated and we're like, all right, I want to I break them off something. Just pause and run through these. Amen? All right. Father, we thank you for your word. Very practical for us. Grateful, I know, for me. It, uh, it's very convicting. We're all sinful, Lord. We all get into uh, debates and disagreements. And uh, Lord, I guess if we're honest with ourselves, as James would say, it, it, a lot of it just happens to be us. It's our own stuff that we are allowing to uh, cloud the issue or to shape our response. And so, Lord, by your spirit, I pray you'd help us to grow, that we would mature, that we would choose grace as you choose grace with us and forgiveness and mercy. And Lord, that we'll grow together in maturity. And so, Lord, I I pray that we'd apply these things, as James would say. Not just be hearers of the word, but, Lord, help us to be doers of these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray and agree together. Amen. 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 All right, church family.